0: Today on The First 40 Miles, we've dredged up as many scary things as we can for this Halloween episode. Cougar attacks, mysterious items in hiker boxes, dead cats, and the scariest thing of all, hiker stink. Then we'll wrap up today's episode with a quote from a zombie. Actually, it's just a quote from someone's posthumously published journal, They're dead, but they're alive, but they're dead. All this, and that's about it. Today, on the first 40 miles. Well, over this past summer in the Pacific Northwest, there were two fatal cougar attacks. The first one was a cyclist in Washington state, and then the next one was a woman hiker in Oregon. And having the two fatality events so close together led me to believe that this kind of thing happens all the time. That, you know, every summer there are maybe three or four cougar fatalities and that that's just how it is. Cougars are just out there and waiting for hikers and cyclists. But the truth is that these two cougar fatalities are the first ones that have happened in the 2010s in North America. So cougar attacks may be a lot more frequent, but cougar fatalities are actually very rare. In fact, if you want to see how rare they are, Wikipedia has a page called List of Fatal Cougar Attacks in North America, and it lists the ones that have been documented or reported, and they are so rare. In fact, on the wiki page, it says that at least 20 people in North America were killed by cougars between 1890 and 2011, and that they're extremely rare and occur much less frequently than fatal snake bites, fatal lightning strikes, which we talked about in a recent episode, or fatal bee stings. However, there are some things that you can do to protect yourself and protect the people around you when it comes to hiking in areas where there may be cougars.
1: So that's fewer than two deaths per decade over a period of 120 years in North America. Seven of the 20 were in California. Almost all of the ones in Canada were in Vancouver Island in British Columbia. So they're rare and maybe sort of localized to certain places for the most part, but we still want to know what to do if we run into a cougar. As with bears, you can learn what triggers the instincts of bears. And there's a different way to respond to grizzly bears versus black bears um, because they have different instincts. Uh, Same thing with cougars. And you want to avoid the things that are going to trigger the cougar's attack instinct. So one of those triggers is running away. If you flee quickly from the cougar, then it says, ah, chase. You know, it just triggers that instinct. The other, though, is just sitting there and playing dead. If you play dead, then that also triggers the cougar to think, ah, easy prey.
0: Well, I like to think of cougars as big cats, which they are. But you know how um, there's that cat toy where it's a mouse that's tied to a stick, and you kind of dangle it in front of the cat, and the cat kind of bats at it? That's what I think it's like when you try and run from a cougar. It triggers that that attack instinct. And so the cougar is going to pounce. However, when you leave that little mouse on a stick on the floor, that cat is going to pounce also because it sees that it's not moving and it's easy prey.
1: Right. So the best way to respond to a cougar is to make yourself unattractive
0: dangerous, dangerous
1: to the cougar. Yeah.
0: And we don't do this with our home kitties. You know, you would never play with a mouse on a stick in front of a cat and then go <laughs> 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 that's that just mean. But that's what you need to do with a cougar and really make yourself big and angry and threatening.
1: Loud, you know, raise your arms, move your arms, anything that makes you look bigger where the cougar will say, "Ah, oh, this isn't worth it.
0: You could even fight back by throwing rocks and sticks or even with your bare hands. Cougars are predators, and sometimes when they attack, you can scare them off and they'll run away, but then they may come back again because they're they're stalking you. It's kind of creepy. They're not a nice animal. I mean, I guess they're part of the food chain, whatever. They're All animals have their purpose, but boy, they are one of the creepier animals.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and being a cat cats are <laughs> creepy anyway yeah. i probably just offended a cat lover but they they lurk they and do. they slink they and do. you just it's it's a little unsettling to go on a hike and imagine that there's a cougar slinking through the bushes out there somewhere and, and that it might be 50 feet from you and you'd never hear it they're so quiet and yeah <laughs> mm. so think about that when you're out trick-or-treating tomorrow night.
0: oh dear <laughs> Yeah, but I think also there's safety in numbers, and especially if you have children. All the literature out there says keep your kids close, and that's not always possible to do. It's fun to let your kids run ahead on the trail. We do, Um, but at least stay connected with them and be aware of the cougar risks in the area and teach your kids what to do if they do encounter a cougar. I've even heard some people say that they can smell the scent of cougar that you can tell and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. and Anyway, so if you are hiking in an area where there have been cougars reported or there's a higher cougar risk, know what to do. And that is if you come in contact with a cougar, be threatening, shout anything to appear larger, more angry, anything to make the animal retreat, and then realize that you're on that predator's watch list.
1: You could still be being stalked, which is just spooky to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Should we turn to another scary topic?
0: Oh, yes.
1: Hiker boxes. Hiker boxes.
0: (laughs) We, We encountered a couple hiker boxes while we were doing our little section on the PCT this summer. And anyone who's dug through a hiker box knows that there are some mysterious things in the hiker boxes. Hiker boxes are usually boxes that tend to be on the long trails, like the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail, where hikers who are doing these long through hikes will discard gear that they don't need anymore. For the most part, it's gear that they believe that someone else would find useful. Backpackers are extremely resourceful people, and so when you look through these boxes, sometimes you think, why wouldn't they have just thrown this out? No one's going to use this. But a backpacker is thinking, I can think of a few ways that someone could use this and it could be helpful to someone. So there are some random, odd, weird things in hiker boxes. So for today's top five list, we're going to be talking about the top five scary things in hiker boxes.
1: And number one is mysterious bags of unlabeled white powder. It's nice when you find a nice, clean, unopened bag of Idahoan mashed potatoes, and you know exactly what it is. But when you just find a zip-top baggie with a white powder in
0: it... (laughs) Super sketchy! (laughs) In digging through these boxes, there are just loads of bags with unlabeled whitish powder. It just kind of is weird.
1: It's probably powdered milk. It could be soup powder. It's probably not powdered drugs because those would be super expensive somewhere, but you just don't know.
0: (laughs) It just looks sketchy. So that is the number one scary thing that we found in hiker boxes. The number two scary thing from hiker boxes is shoes. Shoes that have been worn for hundreds of miles. Shoes that are worn through almost all the way. However, I can understand why these end up in hiker boxes. Because if someone is desperate on their hike and they need a pair of shoes, or if they need a part from a pair of shoes, like the insole, or they need just one shoelace to fix the one that is totally disintegrating on their shoes, then an old pair of shoes is probably really helpful.
1: The third scary thing that we find in hiker boxes is pills, often unlabeled pills. Might be ibuprofen, might be aspirin, who knows? Might be someone's heart medication.
0: And they're not labeled. You just pick up this little bag of pills and you're like, I don't know what this is going to do to me, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a try. Maybe it'll fix what I've got.
0: <laughs> I mean, it could be anything from Benadryl to an anti-diarrheal. You don't know. And so it's probably best to leave those pills in the hiker box. Maybe someone else knows what they are. And so most pills
1: have a marking on them with like a number or letter or other markings and a certain color maybe and i use pills like once a year so i am completely unfamiliar with those markings but maybe someone who uses for example ibuprofen all the time uh would pick up the pills and say oh yeah this is definitely ibuprofen it has exactly the same markings on it yeah or this is
0: benadryl and this is going to help me on the next leg of my hike
1: yeah, but me. i <laughs> I have no idea
0: the number four scary thing in hiker boxes is large containers of fill in the blank. It could be a large container of peanut butter, one of those five pounders, or it could be a large fuel canister. And the thing with large canisters or large containers of anything, is that they take up space even when 99% of the product is used up. So those large containers will still fill up the volume of your pack, which is why hiker boxes are where large containers go to die. And the number five scary thing that ends up in hiker boxes is hygiene overload. So An entire bar of soap, or a whole package of baby wipes, or a full bottle of shampoo. All of that stuff can be useful sometimes if you're ending up at a place where you can take a shower, then you can just grab something out of the hiker box and use it and put it back. But uh, no one is going to take those things on the next leg of their trip. No one wants to haul a bottle of shampoo or a full bar of soap. But yeah, I think there's probably a good reason why they do end up in the hiker boxes. Someone left on their trip thinking, I'm going to keep clean this whole trip and I'm not going to end up with hiker stink. Or maybe they ship them to themselves so that when they pick up their box for the next leg of their journey, they have a fresh bar of soap and then they end up showering and just tossing it in the hiker box for whoever needs it.
1: Yeah, I was thinking their mom packs their resupply box (laughs) and (laughs) includes an entire bottle of shampoo. Oh, they're going to need this. And the hiker says, okay, great. Well, I'll take a shower here at the resupply spot. And that's it. I'm leaving this behind. One of the funniest finds from the hiker box at the end of our Pacific Crest Trail hike this summer was a zip-top baggie that had originally been used for something like a potato soup mix. And then potato soup mix you know, written in Sharpie had been scratched out and they had written cedar butt wipes (laughs) and the bag currently contained cedar butt wipes. (laughs) I'm just glad it didn't go the other direction and start out as cedar butt wipes. And then, oh, well, we're done with those. We'll put in potato soup mix and call it potato soup mix. (laughs) At least it went the right direction.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess the main rule with hiker boxes is don't leave a mess try not to leave unlabeled products or truly useless trash. Do your best to keep them a place where hikers can go and find something that they need. So don't dump your used batteries there or your used cedar bow wipes, I don't know.
1: New ones are okay.
0: Right, and if you get a chance on one of the long trails, definitely check out the Hiker Boxes because they tell the story of different people's hikes It's a little anthropological study in what backpackers find important and not so important. For today's Summit Gear review, we'll be reviewing the Sierra Designs Backcountry Bed Duo 20. When Josh and I were on our week-long Pacific Crest Trail section hike this summer, this is the bed or sleeping bag that we used. It's a two-person, 700 fill power dry down bed that goes down to 20 degrees. And there are some really unique things about the backcountry bed. And we had a really great experience using this sleeping bag. I hesitate to call it a sleeping bag because it really does feel more like a bed. And one of the features that makes it feel more like a bed and less like a sleeping bag is that it's zipperless. So you can just Slide right in, and then the top of this backcountry bed is more like a quilt, so you can kind of tuck it in around you. In fact, the corner of the top of that quilt has this insulated hand pocket, so you can put your hand up in that corner and just cozy it around you and really just get all toasty in this backcountry bed.
1: And yet, if it's a hot night, there is a way to stick your feet out of the bottom to get some cooling.
0: The top of the backcountry bed also has a hood and it's a shared hood so you don't get your own hood but you still get that warmth provided by the other person through this shared hood. Another feature that locks in warmth is the stretch cord closure so you can cinch that down tight and seal out any drafts.
1: What typically happens with a regular sleeping bag is you have all that insulation below you that just gets squished by you and is worthless. So this sleeping bag is much more efficient and cuts the weight by just having no insulation at all on the bottom and providing that nice sleeve to stick in your sleeping pad. Um, It has two sleeves actually, one for each side. You can either put in two regular-sized sleeping pads and it has little buttons that you can attach in between them to keep them in place and keep them from overlapping with each other. Or you can undo those buttons and you have a wide sleeve on the bottom. You could put in a sleeping pad for two people.
0: For mass, the Sierra Designs Backcountry Bed Duo 20 weighs 4 pounds 10 ounces, which means it's about 2 pounds 5 ounces for a 20-degree sleeping bag, which is fantastic. And like Josh said, you can either put two single sleeping pads in there, which is what we did, or if you have a double sleeping pad, you can slide it in there too. It's a very adaptable sleeping bag. It's also very generously sized. So you have a shoulder circumference of 107 inches, and it can fit someone 6 feet 4 inches. I felt like there was plenty of room in the backcountry bed.
1: It felt much more roomy than a single mummy bag.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. For maintenance, because of the size of the sleeping bag, you'll want to wash it and dry it at a commercial laundromat. For investment, the Sierra Designs Backcountry Bed Duo 20 is $449. And for trial...
1: Uh, We've been wanting to try a double sleeping bag for quite some time, but we had a couple concerns which revolved around the idea that uh, you can't split it up. Once you've got a double sleeping bag, it's not like... You know, when one of you goes out on a backpacking trip, what do you do? You take the whole thing? Or say you're out on a trip and for whatever reason you need to split up. Someone got injured and someone else has to go out for help. Uh, Again, one person has to carry the entire sleeping bag. And so we had some concerns like that. But we also thought, you know, it might be really comfortable, (laughs) a really nice way to go.
0: And we've always slept cold. So the idea of scamming heat off of Josh was a really attractive idea. And I have to say, it worked better than I imagined. It was so great to have body heat right there next to me. And I feel like the bed warmed up and stayed warm the entire night.
1: This is the only 20 degree bag I've ever slept in where I could get through a freezing night with frost on the sleeping bag itself and wake up warm in the morning. It was great. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. So sleeping next to a heat producing person was amazing. Also, there was plenty of room in this sleeping bag. It was very comfortable. That was one of the really great benefits of having a double sleeping bag. There was just so much room and it felt more like a real bed than a sleeping bag.
1: I loved that roominess and I also loved the ability to just pull it around me. It was so cozy. My my head could go into that hood area. And like you said, one side of the hood was heat from you and the other side of the hood was wrapped around my head protecting me from the cold of the outside it was just lovely
0: well i thought the backcountry bed was the perfect metaphor for marriage because you can't unzip from each other you can't just say "Oh, well, i'm gonna go sleep over here and you're gonna go sleep over there um But you also benefit from the warmth from each other. And you also share the stink. (laughs) That's part of it. And so by the end of the week, we were sharing the stink. And it was, um, yeah, there were times where we just had to like pull down the top quilt of the backcountry bed and just air out because (laughs) after several days of not showering, there is definitely stink. You know, it also is kind of similar to marriage in that someone has to carry the bag. And you're carrying the sleeping bag for two people, which means the other person needs to carry something of equal or lesser value. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, to kind of,
1: I carried the tent yeah, for two people. Yeah, to kind
0: of balance things out. And sometimes one person does end up carrying more of the weight or less of the weight.
1: Yeah, we weren't both carrying the same things in our packs, but we were both carrying a similar load, both contributing in different ways.
0: Yeah, great marriage metaphor. Well, the Backcountry Bed Duo 20 doesn't come with a compression stuff sack, but it does come with a stuff sack, which I used to stuff the Backcountry Bed into, and then I made those compression straps out of paracord, which we talked about a few episodes ago. This bag also comes with a large mesh storage bag, which you'll definitely need once you get home because that will allow your sleeping bag to air out and to remain lofted. And you want to store it in its lofted state instead of in its compressed state long term.
1: So, over the years, we've tested a lot of gear. And, you know, a lot of it is just, hey, you could use this or you could use that, whatever. And there are a handful of pieces of gear that have just wowed us. And we've said there is no doubt this is staying in our backpacking gear. This is going with us on pretty much every trip. The Sierra Designs Backcountry Bed Duo is one of those pieces of gear.
0: And for those of you who are wondering how small it compressed down to, once I had it in the little stuff sack that it came with and used the paracord compression straps around it, it got down to about the size of a basketball. But you have to remember that it's two sleeping bags. It's two. And so to get it down that small, that compressed, it's pretty incredible. So we will have the link to the Sierra Designs Backcountry Bed Duo 20 in today's show notes. And you can find those at thefirst40miles.com slash 207. For today's backpack hack of the week, in keeping with our lovely Halloween theme, we have the dead cat nano game. Lots of backpackers like to bring a deck of cards on the trail, which is only a few ounces and it's 52 cards. However, there's an entire genre of games out there called nano games. Nano games don't have a strict definition, but typically it's about 9 to 16 cards and you can play an entire game with just a few cards. So this game that we're going to talk about today is called Dead Cat. This is kind of half backpack hack, Half Summit Gear Review, because you can buy the real game, Dead Cat, online, and we'll have the link for that in the show notes. However, when the game was first being developed, the prototype was put onto BoardGameGeek.com. So you can actually go to BoardGameGeek.com and print out the cards for Dead Cat. Now, why would you want to play a game called a Dead Cat?
1: <laughs> well, in case you run into a cougar.
0: <laughs> then you'll have a game to play. <laughs> now, this is a wildly fun game. It's not a party-style game where, you know, people are laughing like crazy and, you know. It's more of a cerebral game. So it's all based on quantum physics. It has uh, something to do with Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat. Dead Cat. No, not a dead cat. Schrödinger's cat, which is in a box. The cat is either alive in the box, but you don't know that it's alive in the box until you open the box, but the moment you open the box, I think a deadly gas is released and it kills the cat immediately. And so by opening the box to check to see if the cat is dead or alive, you've killed the cat.
1: It's hard for me to understand too, but it has something to do with quantum physics where the act of observing the state of something changes the state of that thing
0: so the game is kind of loosely based on that so you have this stack of cards and each of you also has one die and in this stack of cards there are nine cats however one of them is dead sticking his tongue out he looks kind of uh, (laughs) like a dead cat so to begin play you start with all the cards face down in a stack and you lift up the first card and you look at it. And either it's gonna be an alive cat or a dead cat. And you put the card face down, you discard it, and you pick up your die and you don't roll it, but you put it on the number of days it's been since the cat died. So you, say you looked at the card and the cat was still alive then you would just put it on any number. It wouldn't really matter. But the further you get into the game, there's a greater chance that someone has picked up the card with the dead cat on it. And so you're trying to be the one that guesses how many days exactly it's been since the cat has died. You want to be as close to that day as possible. Now to tell how many days it's been since the cat died, someone declares dead cat. That's what you do for your turn. You say dead cat. And then you start flipping the cards from the discard pile over one, two, three, four, until you find the dead cat. So that's how many days it's been. The number of days is how many cards you flipped over until you find that dead cat. So say it's been four days or you flipped over four cards from the discard pile. And then you found the dead cat. Whoever has their dice on a four, they win that round. So the rounds are really quick, which is another element of this game that makes it so great for backpacking. Nobody wants to play Risk on the trail. We just need something really small, something to divert us at the end of the day. And Dead Cat is a great, simple, lightweight game to play on the trail.
1: Dead Cat has a couple little wrinkles to the rules that make it a little more challenging. One is that you have to change the face of your die on every turn until that last turn where you say dead cat. So let's say you had three people playing and you had your die on a three and you pick up a card and look at it and it is the dead cat. Well, that's great. Now you have your die on three and the next two people are going to take their turn and then it'll come back around to you and you could say dead cat and count back three and that's going to be the card that you saw. The problem is your die was already on a three and so you can't do that. Um, So that gets a little tricky. And then just keeping track of how many players there are and how that affects things. So you see the dead cat, you put it on a three. That's because there's two more players who are going to go. And then it'll come back to you on that third turn. And that's where you want the number to be right.
0: And you want to declare dead cat. So you can print this game off from Board Game Geek. They have the files you have to sign up in order to be able to access those files. You can also buy Dead Cat. The cool thing about buying it is that it comes with more dead cats. So if you're going to play with more people, then you can actually um, change the balance and put in more dead cats and then take out a few cards so you don't know exactly how many dead cats and how many alive cats are in there. Anyway, it's a very simple game, but extremely sophisticated and so fast and so fun. And it ends up being a little ridiculous when people start yelling dead cat and (laughs) you're looking for the dead cat. Anyway, it's a very fun game and definitely one that deserves a place in your pack. And you can find the link to either print off the prototype for dead cat or buy a hard copy of the game. You can find that link at today's show notes. The first forty miles slash two oh seven.
1: And we'll leave you today with some trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, John Muir. And this is from the somewhat interestingly titled Unpublished Journals of John Muir. So I guess that means they were unpublished at the time of his death, but the fact that we have them means they eventually got published, right?
0: Uh, true that.
1: <laughs> anyway, he said, How little note is taken of the deeds of nature. What paper publishes her reports? Who publishes the sheet music of the winds, or the written music of water written in river lines? Who reports the works and ways of the clouds, those wondrous creations coming into being every day like freshly upheaved mountains? And what record is kept of nature's colors, the clothes she wears, of her birds, her beasts, her livestock?
0: I guess to answer that question, John Muir. He did a pretty good job of keeping record of all of that stuff.
1: I suppose so. Of course, nowadays, when we think of publishing things, we can publish videos and audio and photos, all these things that couldn't be done in his day. And yet, does any of that do it justice compared to being there?
0: Not quite. Almost. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for fun backpacking books and merch, check out 1st 40 milescom slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. as you dig through a hiker box. We're recording (laughs) in our car.